Ecclesia is a new church trying to live out the way of Jesus in Princeton, New Jersey. We pray this teaching invites you to love Jesus and people more deeply and to embrace the full life that Jesus offers each one of us. Grace and peace to you. Today's scripture comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 80. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke this prophecy. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors, and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of his enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day that he appeared publicly to Israel. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks, Brenda, and good morning. Uh, so I'm usually spending my Sunday mornings breathing heavily and drying my nervously clammy hands behind the curtain over there, uh, praying that the God I'm about to go in, in front of some 30-plus people to sing to and for and about would, would calm me of the nerves that I have absolutely no need of having, but, but have within me nonetheless. And the good news is God usually answers that prayer, usually calms, calms my nerves. Uh, but then if I do get nervous when, when I am singing, I usually have a big Nalgene or, or a mic stand to hide behind. Um, unfortunately, what I have tied behind this morning, if I get nervous, are my own eyes. Um, so, but uh, instead of closing my eyes alone in fear, uh, instead let's close our eyes together and pray in confidence. So please pray with me. Lord of all creation, of every moment and every place, we pray that you will make us aware of your presence in this humble little auditorium. May we be still and know that you are God. Calm my nerves, steady my voice, and open our ears to hear your word as spoken through Zechariah in Luke chapter one. Cut through the noise in our lives, Lord, the worries upon our hearts, the distractions in our minds, and whatever else keeps us from hearing from you as we study together your word this morning. Amen. Sweet. Let's do this. So uh, by now, you probably have noticed that I've shrunken a few feet. Um, I have much longer and much less well-coiffed hair, and I'm not wearing a blazer. That's because I'm not Ian. Uh, I'm Joey. And as Ian introduced, uh, introduced me and Gabrielle, I'm, uh, I'm an intern at Ecclesia and also a seminary student. I'm not any more worthy or equipped uh, to bring before you this morning the word than is anyone else uh, in the congregation this morning. But as I study ministry and seek to become a, a stronger leader 
and a more effective communicator. Ian has given me the opportunity to bring before you this morning my interpretation of Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 80, which in short is Zechariah's song of praise uh, to God for the, the promise of the, the Messiah to come and also the promise of Zechariah's own baby boy uh, that we will know as John the Baptist. So last Sunday uh, was the first Sunday of Advent, and it was also the first of our church's December series, Advent EP. Um, many of us were traveling from afar and recovering from a beans, greens, potatoes, uh, turkey, and cranberry-induced state of comatose. So for those of us here that were absent last week, allow me to offer a brief synopsis of the Word of God uh, read last week as brought to us by Pastor Ian. So the Magnificat, uh, which is the title attributed to the Virgin Mary's Song of Praise, is, uh, is sung by Mary as an outcry of praise for God's promise to use her womb to grow the, the infant Messiah, Christ Jesus. And her song, Ian preached, is, is a testament to God's mercy, uh, to a God who doesn't work in spite of us, but in and with and through and because of us. Uh, to a God who meets us in our circumstance, even if we are a poor, unmarried, pregnant 12-year-old girl. This week's track in the uh, Advent EP comes just a few verses down the page in that same first chapter of Luke. And just as we did with the first track, uh, we can name the second track after the person who sang it. But before we parse the lyrics of Zachariah's song, like poetic scholars, I think it's important to first understand the context in which that song was written. So if you're a uh, Pacific Northwest wannabe, like myself, uh, or an actual coffee-drinking, succulent-growing, Harry Potter glasses-wearing hipster, or if you just like listening to uh, vinyl uh, without feeling the need to associate yourself with hipsterdom, you'll know that a lot of uh, deluxe edition vinyl records have the lyrics of each track, as well as a brief contextual analysis of the writing of the, the record itself, printed somewhere on the, the paper sleeve that holds the vinyl record. Uh, so consider what follows in the next few minutes as the, the unfolding and reading aloud of that context for Zachariah's song. So we'll re uh, rewind the track just a little bit to the fifth to 25th verses of Luke chapter 1, uh, to better understand Zechariah's song, which comes in the 67th to 80th verses. Uh, from what these first few verses tell us, uh, we know that Luke, the author of Luke, wants us to know that Zechariah was a priest in the days of King Herod of Judea, and that his wife Elizabeth was a descendant of Aaron, uh, the, the brother of Moses. Luke also wants us to know that Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous uh, before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and both were getting on in years. If you listen closely to the melody for One Day More in Les Mis, which uh, the album cover is that, if you listen closely to the melody of One Day More or for the line, Tale as old as time, song as old as rhyme from Beauty and the Beast, you'll notice that the melody of some songs are repeated 
later in different songs of that same musical, often to create a sort of connectedness and to uh, exemplify significance in whatever that song is, is portraying. Um, so it may not have the timelessly debated, is Russell Crowe a good singer discussion attached to it, as Les Mis does. Um, and it doesn't really have many dancing candlesticks or pies and puddings on flambe that the Beauty and the Beast does. Uh, but the Bible is itself a, a beautiful musical in the sense that it repeats these melodies from Old Testament to New all of the time. We can see... Uh, plots and themes and messages and, and even characters sometimes being played in that same melody woven throughout the Old Testament to new. And an example of this is between the couple Zechariah and Elizabeth, whom we're talking about this morning, and the Genesis couple, Abraham and Sarah. Uh, they are both, both couples are righteous before the Lord, uh, filled with the hope of parenthood, but burdened with the inability to actually bear children. And Abraham, just like Zechariah, as we'll see uh, in just a little bit here, is visited by the Lord and, and receives this divine promise for a biologically improbable child. But God usually completely obliterates our, our expectations, often meeting us at times and in places and with people we wouldn't really expect, often at times in places and with people we neither want nor really even like all that much. Uh, with Zechariah, the setting was, was proper, but the timing was off. It was, it was well past his prime, likely after he had given up most of the hope that he had in seeing his wife uh, bear a child, that God visited him and promised him one. So if you're waiting for, for God to show up in your life to offer you a promise that you're desperate to hear, remember that, like Zechariah, that often happens at times in places in through people that we wouldn't really expect or want. But here's how Zechariah's story goes. By casting lots, which was essentially the old-time version of drawing straws or rolling dice or flipping a coin, uh, Zechariah was chosen amongst the priesthood of the temple to enter the sanctuary of the Lord to offer incense. You'll remember Gabriel from last week or from one of the other Advent songs or sermons or readings that you've heard in your life as the angel who will visit Mary uh, j just a few verses after he visits Zechariah to tell her, Hi, I'm, I'm Gabriel. Mary, I know you're a virgin, but you're pregnant. Uh, oh, by the way, it's the Messiah. Good luck. Praise God. Goodbye. So a few verses later, he visits Zechariah in this temple as Zechariah is offering incense to the Lord. And he says to them this. He says to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the heart of, the, of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. In other words, Zechariah, I know you've been waiting for a kid for a long time, and I know you're getting pretty old, and your wife's getting pretty old too, but now is the time you're going to have the baby you've been waiting for. 
and this, this baby boy of yours is going to play a massive role in preparing the way for the Messiah to come. And after being visited by Gabriel, uh, Zachariah was, was pretty dumbfounded. And I don't think we blame him uh, because I think most of us know what it's like to be told something absolutely unbelievable and, and kind of absurd by God. Maybe, maybe it's like, really? I'm beloved after, like, after everything I've done? Are, are you sure, God? Maybe it's, like, you, you really want me to go there and to do that right now? Like, are you, are you sure, God? Maybe it's, you, you want me to love that person right now. Maybe you're mistaken, God. Are, are you sure? Zachariah couldn't believe what God was telling him. He asked, how, how will I know that this is going to be so? I'm an old man, and, and my wife's getting pretty old too. And Gabriel responds by saying, do not be afraid. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak, until the day these things occur. And then soon after, Zechariah was made mute. His tongue was made tight and his mouth was shut. And then he found time to have a, a romantic nap with his wife, just in time for her to get pregnant. And uh, nine months later, have the promised baby boy. Uh, Zechariah was, was doubtful. But Gabriel was right. The Lord was faithful. And as was according to Jewish custom at the time, on the eighth day of the boy's life, he was circumcised and named. The neighbors and family and friends that were there for the ceremony suggested they name the boy Zachariah after his father. But Elizabeth said no. She said that they were to name the boy John. But the naming committee thought that was a dumb name because there was no one in their family named John. So they asked Zachariah what he thought they should name his son. And still mute, he ushered for a writing tablet. He wrote, his name is John, in a first century 0.25 millimeter zebra ballpoint pen. And immediately his, his mouth was opened and his tongue was freed. And now, nearly 10 minutes into my sermon, we can finally turn to the text itself that is Zachariah's song. But don't be mistaken, because the context in which a song is written is, is often just as important as the song itself. It's often the 30 seconds that precede the actual lyrics of a song um, that have just as much meaning and power and significance as the words themselves. Um, so Tom, go ahead and get ready. Uh, we're, I'm going to have you listen to the first uh, 30 seconds or so of Michigan native musical genius Sufjan Stevens' John, My Beloved. This is mostly because I want an excuse to subject people to one of my favorite artists. Um, and the song is called John the Beloved. It's about John the Beloved Apostle of Jesus rather than John the Baptist, the, the, song, the, the, the boy that this song is about. But it's, it's a really important song nonetheless, and, and I'll explain why we're listening to it after. So go ahead and listen to the first 30 seconds of this song. Thank you. 
So because I think God revels in our creativity, and because I believe that we can find the Word of God woven into the most unexpected and sometimes mundane moments of our everyday lives, uh, I want to suggest to you how I see Zachariah's song portrayed in the first 30 seconds of a song that has absolutely nothing to do with Zachariah's song. For example, I hear Elizabeth's barrenness, her inability to, to bear children, in kind of that overall quiet, lonely timbre, the, the, just the, the lonely, quiet feel of those first 30 seconds. Because without words, it captures that sort of incessant hopelessness that she feels in being unable to have a child. I hear Zachariah's encounter with Gabriel as the, the kind of chromatic uh, tenuto, those louder wooden xylophone notes. Because without words, it captures uh, the divine, holy interruption of that lonely, unwavering hopelessness. I hear John leaping in his mother's womb uh, at the sound of the Virgin Mary's voice, which is something we heard last week, uh, as that rhythmic, airy tempo on that same xylophone, uh, because it captures without words, this growing anticipation for the coming of the Messiah. And I hear Zachariah's nine months of divinely induced silence as the very intentional soft white noise, that, that static that almost sits beneath all of those notes for those, those first 30 seconds. I hear his nine months of silence in that because without words, it captures his own wordlessness. So imagine being visited by an angel of the Lord in the, the kosher aisle at Wegmans or hearing the voice of God while you sit in traffic on Washington or Quaker Bridge or any other road in New Jersey and then not being able to tell anyone about that encounter that you've just had. Uh, Im imagine God promising you something that you have been waiting and waiting and waiting to hear and then not getting to tell anyone about it. Imagine watching your wife grow pregnant or your job grow meaningful or your classes grow transformational or your relationship with your family or your partner or yourself grow life-giving once more and then not getting to tell anyone about it. I can imagine that when his mouth finally was opened and his tongue finally freed after those nine months of being mute, I can imagine that Zachariah knew exactly what he wanted to say. Uh, because when his words were taken from him, he had all of the silence in the world to contemplate how faithful the words he could say were to what it was he actually wanted to say. Sometimes I wish that we were cursed with nine months of silence by Gabriel because like Zachariah, we would start speaking less, but saying more. We would stop filling silence with, with rashly chosen and poorly spoken thoughts and instead start responding to that silence with words that are not reactionary but contemplative, words that are not temporary but eternal, and words that, like Proverbs 16 says, are touched with the sweetness of honeycomb. So we can be sure that the words that Zechariah says after nine months of silence are words that he probably meant to say. 
and they were this. He says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. So if we can consider these first few lines of Zechariah's song as its first verse, uh, we can understand them as a, as a stanza proclaiming uh, the fulfillment of God's Old Testament covenant and promises with the people of Israel. In other words, God has waited a very long time uh, to fulfill a promise made to God's people long ago, and that promise was to deliver them from their enemies. So when Zechariah cries aloud, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, he is singing specifically to the God of his ancestors, who is finally fulfilling a promise made long, long ago. And God is fulfilling that promise by, by taking on flesh and rising up, raising up a Savior. What we know today is that the Savior came not as a war general, as a lot of the, uh, a lot of the Jews believed he would at the time. Um, he didn't come on a golden steed with the full force of an army behind him to, to win this no contest victory. When the Savior came, when the Messiah came, he was not covered in royal armor, but in amniotic fluid. And it wasn't the heads of Roman soldiers that were being sliced, but an umbilical cord. And he wasn't warmed by the flame rising from his justice-bringing blade, but from clothes, swaddling clothes as he laid in a manger, surrounded by his mother and his father as they tried to protect him from the chilled wind of the cool desert night. The infant Jesus was probably not the savior that Zachariah had first envisioned, but he was the savior nonetheless, and I, I think Zachariah knew that. And so Zachariah continues his verse of thanksgiving in this song of worship by praising the God who has shown mercy uh, to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant, that oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all their days. I wouldn't be ashamed to listen to Old Town Road again, whose album cover is that. Uh, but the truth is, Zachariah's song has, in my opinion, significantly better lyrics than Old Town Road. I think that Zachariah's song is worth more repeated listens uh, than any other song on my Spotify's 2019 most played songs, because it's a song about a God who is, is faithful and holy and righteous and true. And it's not even over yet. The second half of Zechariah's song is a sort of offering up of his newborn son, John, to the kingdom of God. This commissioning took nine months, just as his first verse of the song did. And it begins as such. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. I'm not sure if you're allowed to pick a favorite verse in the, in the passage that you're preaching on, so I'm not going to do that. But if I were allowed to do that, it would be the following verse. Uh, it, it might as well be the bridge of Zechariah's song, 
because it's usually the bridges of worship songs that, that are most likely to make you go, oh, that's so good, and then proceed to get stuck in your head. They're also usually, the, it's usually the bridge that you repeat again and again and again, kind of, again, like the melodies and musicals to, to capture the significance and power of what you're saying. For example, uh, sing a little louder, sing a little louder, sing a little louder from uh, Raise the Hallelujah. Unfortunately, the verse that is about to come in Zechariah's song isn't really the bridge uh, because he only says it once. But when he says it, it's, it's super powerful. He says this, By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So Zechariah knows that his son will be a prophet of the Lord, that his son John will go before the way of Jesus to, to prepare the way for the Messiah. And I love that this way that the Messiah will bring is one of tender mercy because we're stewards and recipients of tender mercy every day. Having a, a cup of hot cocoa waiting for you on the counter after a, a long afternoon of playing in the snow is a tender mercy. Listening to and being with a, a weeping friend as they mourn the loss of a life or the loss of a dream is a tender mercy. Nursing a, a, a bird back to health that flew into your uh, sliding glass door on a sunny summer afternoon is a tender mercy. Having your, uh, hanging your child's 15th macaroni-based ornament on the already over-encumbered Christmas tree is a tender mercy. And sharing the promise of salvation in Christ with the sort of presence and grace that only the Holy Spirit could provide is a tender mercy. That whole dawn from on high, giving light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death lyric from Zechariah's song is, is probably how he envisions the, the salvific work of Christ for which his son John will be spending his life preparing the way. Like a, like a piercingly bright light, Christ will break through the darkness of sin, of shame and guilt, of loss and sorrow and mourning, of death and sickness, of the powers of this world to bring about instead wholeness and redemption peace and forgiveness, renewal and revival, grace and love. Most people uh, can recognize when a song is, is pretty artfully crafted or why it might be adored from generation to generation, even if they themselves uh, don't really like this song. So maybe it's Beethoven or the Beatles for some of us. It's the Hamilton soundtrack for me. Um, I'm pretty sure none of us actually like Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. So that one's off the hook because I think we kind of just listened to that song ironically at this point. <laughs> but what I do know is that this song for all of us is, is Zachariah's song. This song that has been beautifully and wonderfully crafted that none of us really listen to. 
It's probably because there's no acapella pentatonics version of it on Spotify. But it, the point is this. It's usually the songs whose story intersects with our own, whose reality breaks through into ours, whose melody and harmony and lyrics and tempo match that of the song that is deep within us. It's usually those songs whose life kind of matches with our own, if only for a brief second, that we turn our volume to max for and, and put on repeat. So you may or may not hear the harmony, melody, lyrics, and tempo of Zachariah's song intersecting with your own. But consider how the life of a first century Jewish priest mysteriously overlaps with the lives of 21st century Sunday morning John Witherspoon middle school dwellers like us. Consider how those lives can overlap. He sings a song of longing, born from an unfulfilled promise of deliverance from the enemies of God's people. And he sings a song of longing, born from this unfulfilled promise of deliverance from his own mourning that he shares with his, life, his wife, Elizabeth, and their inability to create new human life together. He sings a song of doubting, born from the shock of a seemingly endless silence being broken by a God that he has been waiting to move and work and breathe in his life. He sings a song of waiting, born from nine months of wordlessness, of having something to say, but not having the voice to say it or the words to capture it. And he sings a song of praising, to a God who has met him in his longing and in his doubting and in his waiting. See, we're all longing for and doubting against and waiting with something. But unlike Zechariah, we're still waiting for our own angel to appear, to promise us our own little baby John the Baptist, whatever that may be so that we can sing our own Zachariah's song. But in this longing and doubting and waiting, we can always be praising because our first verse has already been written because it's the same verse as Zachariah's first verse. Praise be to the Lord God of Israel who took on flesh in the form of an infant child wrapped in cloth, in lying in a manger, whose death on a cross would grant life and salvation to all who receive it. So if you feel as though you are still waiting to have the second verse of your song composed, know that your first verse has already been finished. So please pray with me. Lord, we love you. We love encountering your word. And this morning we encountered it in Zechariah's song, a song of, of longing and of doubting and of waiting, but ultimately a song of praising. So Lord, be with us this week. Whether or not we feel as though our second verse has been written, 
remind us that the first verse has been written indeed. It was written over 2,000 years ago when you took on flesh in the form of a baby boy who would die so that we could live. We love you and we praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.ecclesianj.com.